Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. You are positively glowing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) We'll get into why here shortly. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Okay. So on that note, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you think that once you've had cancer treatment, it ages you? A hundred percent. A hundred percent, right? Although I think it's kind of ironic, though, because usually when you're on chemo, I felt like my skin had never been oh, no, more I look glowing. Great. Yeah. No, I look great. I look yeah. like I had that glow, that pregnancy glow, glow all through yeah. chemo. Like my mom was like, this is the best you've ever looked. Yeah. And then chemo kills off all those dead cells. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit of a slow evolution. It's like you get done with treatment and you look great. And mm-hmm. then the further out you go the more you start to age. And it's it's hard to tell because everybody's obviously already aging and cancer doesn't typically happen when you're not already a little bit older. Yeah. Not typically. So yeah, anyway. but I I mean, all of a sudden it's like I woke up one day and I was like, whoa. Uh, you and your jowls. You're always like, oh, my jowl. I mean, there's lots of I things. There's said. lots of things about my face that I'm like, yeah. wow, because that's where I notice it. I notice yeah. it in my face. Yeah. But I also notice it with other patients. Like yeah. I notice when they go through treatment, they look pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then it's like almost like clockwork, like a year or two after mm-hmm. is when they start to like prematurely age. Yeah. It looks great while you're doing it. And then all the effects mm-hmm. kind of come in later. Yeah. Today's guest is going to be really interesting because we are going to be talking to Dr. Longo. He is a renowned expert in aging and longevity research. Dr. Longo is the director of the Longevity Institute at the University of Southern California. And he's also the director of the Longevity and Cancer Program at the IFOM Institute of Molecular Oncology in Milan. So that's actually a cancer research institute that's focused on the study of cancer formation and development at the molecular level. Interesting. That sounds deep. Yeah. Um, in 2018, uh, Longo was named one of Time Magazine's 50 most influential people in healthcare. That's a pretty big deal. With the profits from his book, including the international bestseller, The Longevity Diet. Which Long- I just read and yeah. I highlighted the entire thing. It's literally on my it's on my next book. I'm so excited to read it. So Dr. Longo has established the Create Cures Foundation, which offers treatment options to patients with serious diseases and educates both adults and children on how to live long and a healthy life. Awesome. Awesome. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Longo about longevity and nutrition. And then we're going to talk about the fasting mimicking diet, the right. F- FDM as nope. or FMD. There you go. <laughs> FMD, the fasting mimicking diet, and then how FMD can improve efficacy of chemotherapy and then practical tips for cancer patients. But before we do that, let's hear from our first sponsor. Ann's Bra Shop features skilled mastectomy fitters ready to assist you in selecting the perfect breast forms, bras, swimsuits, and camisoles for your post-surgery needs. They have three locations in the St. Louis area, Chesterfield and Winsville, Missouri, across the river in O'Fallon, Illinois, and a fourth location south on I-55 in Cape Girardeau. Visit Ann's Bra Shop at www.brashop.com to learn more. Well, welcome, Dr. Longo. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you for having me. I actually just got done with your book, The Longevity Diet. And I was telling Sarah before you hopped on, I highlighted basically the entire thing. (laughs) It was the most interesting book I've read in a really long time. I am just completely fascinated by this topic. So and and I'm and I so I didn't get a chance to read the book because it was really short or not. I my time was short, but I'm on day five of the prolon fast. So I yeah, we're both kind of in different. We're, bo- we're both really entrenched in your work, just in different yeah. ways at this point. So, I'm um, ex- oh, great, great, good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's start for people who aren't familiar with your work. Essentially, you started kind of with studying aging, and then you kind of parlayed that into research within the. A- so you were you were kind of looking at aging populations and who was aging well, and then you kind of parlayed that into research within a lab to kind of figure out what can we do to slow aging, slow the progression of disease, went into sick populations as well. But but essentially, what I got from the book is that nutrition is so strongly linked to longevity, right? Can you kind of talk on that a little bit? Can you kind of summarize for the people listening not familiar with your work, what your research has shown? Yes. So uh, I started actually with the genetics of aging. So If you take a simple organism, like a microorganism or a mouse, are there genes and and types of genes that can make him live longer or much longer and healthier, right? So, and the answer is yes. We made a microorganism live 10 times longer and, and others made mice live up to twice as long. But the most important thing was that they were much healthier. So they live longer and, and they live, live longer, healthier. And then, of course, you, you're either born with those genes or you're not. And so we found a, a, a population in Ecuador that had the same mutation that made mice live a lot longer. And, uh, and in fact, this population was, was shown it was protected from cancer, from diabetes, from uh, cognitive decline, so Alzheimer's probably, and now also potentially cardiovascular disease. So, so then we jumped to nutrition because, of course, well, first of all, I was a student of Roy Walford back 30 years ago or more than 30 years ago at UCLA, and Roy was the, the world leading figure in nutrition and longevity. So I learned directly from him for, for several years in, in, in my early PhD, and so I continued that research, so connecting that with the genetics of aging, and so eventually... You know, we came up with, I think, two major things. One was this, what I call the longevity diet, which is an everyday diet. And I'm assume, I assume we're going to talk about it. And then in addition to this very specific uh, non-calorie restricted, normal caloric longevity diet, then we said, um, well, what about people that don't want to change their diet, uh, which is the majority of people, if not the great majority of people, and then we came up with, with this, what I call the fasting-making diet. So the, the question was, is it possible that if you just expose people to five days of a plant-based a fasting-mimicking diet, so five days that to the body are uh, means fasting, but to the person means eating or at least having some food or lots of food. You know? So those are the, the two things that we focus on, longevity diet and the fasting mimicking diet. So basically, the longevity diet is what we should be eating in order to live long and healthy. And basically, you say in the book that proper nutrition impacts the genes that can either protect and repair, and you can turn those on or off based on what you eat. Is that is that fair? 
Yes, it's fair. So okay. you can turn them on and off and not off necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, but then eventually we also uh, figured out that you can turn regenerative genes on and off based on particularly on fasting and refeeding. So it wasn't just the aging is also, uh, is it possible that an organism can become, you know, at least partially younger? Of course, it's not going to become young, but can we make somebody younger and healthier? And the, and the answer is, it looks like it, certainly in mice, but also in people in the clinical trials, we're showing that uh, that seems to be possible. So let's talk about the longevity diet, because that's the diet that we, you know, by studying all these pot populations that live very long and healthily, that's the diet that we should all be consuming, and yet we don't. So what what is the longevity diet? So the longevity diet is mostly plant-based, but not only plant-based. So it's a pescatarian diet, so fish plus plant-based, but it's also age-specific, meaning that this pescatarian diet should be consumed between, let's say, age 20 and 65 or 70 before then and and after that i think it should be a, a more animal food or certainly a richer diet not everybody wants to eat animal food but they seem to, those those diets more like the mediterranean diet but you know i'm not a big supporter of the mediterranean diet because i think that different people from different parts of the world will need very different ingredients. So I don't think it makes any sense to uh, to talk about Mediterranean diet for a Scandinavian or for a Japanese. Uh, so I'd rather say, you know, modified versions of, of the longevity diet before 20 and after 70. And so it's a, it's a low protein, but again, it's low protein between 20 and 70, and then it goes to moderate protein levels. You know, no meats other than fish until 70, and then it, it allows uh, say white meat at least to be much more common in the in the daily uh, diet and and eggs and and cheese and again person specific but after 70 they're more uh, allowed than than in the 20 to 70 domain so it's a whole grain high levels uh, or moderate to high levels of nuts uh, olive oil and uh, high nourishment meaning that something that we don't think about is that you can have a very an anti-aging diet that will make you malnourished, and so you cannot have that. And and so gotta have the omega threes, the vitamins, the minerals, and those come from uh, you know eating lots of uh, certain ingredients. Fruit is in there, but unlike the Mediterranean diet, there is limited levels of fruit and and lots of vegetables. I think two of the things that stood out to me in your book was what you kind of said, right, that we don't want to have excessive protein intake for those people that are between 20 and what did you say 60 ish, because it can activate pathways associated with aging. But then older populations might need a little more protein, right, as they age. But that low protein kind of struck a chord with me because I thought, gosh, I've been telling myself, you need to up your protein if you want to increase your muscle mass, right? Like I'm aging, I'm in my 40s. If I want more muscle, right, which is what we think we need to live healthier, then I need to increase my protein. But your research hasn't actually shown that. It's shown that you can still be strong, right, regardless of consuming a ton of protein. Yeah, so certainly that's that's for sure. And lots of clinical data shown that after so many grams of proteins, your muscle don't increase anymore. And this is also the data from children shows that excessive protein does not make you more muscular between somebody that is deficient in protein and somebody that has a normal, low, normal level, 
then you can see a big difference, right? So, so you know, malnourishment again. So if you if you don't have enough protein, so let's say that if you weigh a hundred pounds, that means about at least let's say 40, 45 grams of good quality protein. What does it mean that that if you only have legumes every day, if you have forty grams of legumes uh, every day, uh, you're probably still going to be deficient, right? Because mm-hmm. certain amino acids are very low. If you have legumes and seeds and nuts and you have 40 grams from that combination, then you're fine. Or if you have, let's say, legumes and then fish, and that's how you get your 40 grams of protein, then uh, then you're okay, right? So if you weigh 150 pounds, then uh, probably, you know, you're going into about one and a half times that, maybe a little bit less because, you know, some of that weight may be adipose tissue, so fat tissue, but yeah, so that's a general calculation about, 0.37 grams per pound of body weight. So you're you're doing those calculations because this I this is where I get really into the science and I'm curious about it. You're doing those calculations based on your lean body mass, not your total body. A, a combination, right? Okay. Because you still have to support the rest, right? So most people have, let's say, between 20 or 15 and 40% body fat, right? Mm-hmm. So you still have to, to support. So the muscle, if you're carrying, like imagine like if you carry a bag of, uh, that weighs, you know, 20 pounds, you need more muscle, right, to carry mm-hmm. that. So I think the somebody that has more body fat still needs, that's why I was saying it's something in between, right? Got it. So you don't go up to the the, the, the regular, the, the total weight, but you, you do in between lean body mass and, and total weight. Yeah. Got it. So this is interesting to me too, because it's the kind of foods we eat that is important with the longevity mm-hmm. diet. But then also, what about quantities? Because I think it's pretty well known that Americans love our food portions <laughs> and they just keep creeping up bigger, bigger, and, bigger. and bigger and bigger. Supersize. I mean, how do how do Americans eat compared to other populations in terms of portion control and, and how often? Yeah, it's an it's an it's a myth, right? It's an illusion uh, that you, Europeans love that. And a lot of people around the world, you know, now people are eating about the same, right? It, 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 uh, Europeans have now reached sixty percent uh, overweight and obesity prevalence. U- U.S. is seventy-five, but the Europeans are right there, right? So the Italians now, the children in southern Italy have surpassed American children in in being overweight hmm. as a portion. So I mean, uh, it's these are the stories that a lot of people around the world like this. Uh, blame the Americans, but <laughs> oh, 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 I was ready to care. I was ready to carry that burden for you, but yeah. <laughs> But okay, so but have a problem, and we're all healthy. That's not true anymore. It, it used to be, you know, as it used to be in in the U.S. Right in the U.S., uh, you know, a hundred years ago, nobody was overweight, right? And uh, diabetes were very rare. So, so yeah, I think Europeans maybe thirty years ago probably had still a lot of advantages because you know they they had a reasonable diet. You know, that was already then slowly disappearing, and now it's. It's almost completely gone. I mean, they're they're still eating differently, but so Americans may eat more candy and you know and uh, sugary drinks, and Italians may eat more pasta and bread, right? So in the end, it's about the same, right? The, uh, yeah. the, if you take if you take uh, uh, rice or, or or bread, it gets in the circulation uh, about at the same speed as table sugar. So I mean, it wasn't a big surprise to me that you know. It talks about in your book that sugar 
helps you age faster and die earlier, right? I mean, that's, especially from a cancer patient perspective, we talked about this multiple times, you know, cancer patients are like, oh, I've heard sugar fuels cancer. And, you know, sugar, don't we all know at this point that sugar is just largely bad for us? It's it's like watching <laughs> yeah. all of us walk toward the edge of a cliff and we know that we're going to fall and we just keep doing it. It's yeah. just... It's so it's addictive. And I think that that's why that it happens. And so much is connected to your mental mental state. But it's it's good to educate yourself about what you're eating and what you're putting on and how it's impacting your longevity. So, yeah, those were the two things that stood out to me is high protein and then high sugar can increase your aging. And something else that really stood out to me was kind of your experiment when you were at UCLA with starving baker's yeast by basically removing all the nutrients and then giving them only water and then them living twice as long because immediately that triggered in me this whole concept of water only fasting and from our perspective because we live in cancer world you know we've seen testimonies of stage four cancer patients going into spontaneous remission after doing water only fasting but water only fasting is incredibly intense that was the kind of the catalyst for your fasting mimicking diet correct i kind of want to talk on that but before we do that sarah you want to do boobs in the news let's do it Boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News! Boobs in the News! Boobs in the News! All right, are you ready for Boobs in the News? I'm ready. Okay. All right, so the title of this one is Man's Gross Prank Goes Horribly Wrong. Ew! Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to finish the title because it'll give away. Okay, so he suffered from serious case of fart burn. Fart burn. A Chinese man attempted to light his fart fart literally on fire. Oh. And it backfired after oh. he accidentally set his pants ablaze. Yeah. There's actually a cute uh, a video of him <gasps> Stop doing it. it. It's, I, it's I, really funny. So it went viral and he looks like he's in like pajama pants. And you know how sometimes those are drunk? kind of fuzzy. Is he drunk? I, I mean, bet he he's drunk. He doesn't look drunk. The that, video is that is not something a so grown man short. does if he's sober. Well, it's just funny. So the video is him lying on his bed as he prepares to well. This is really funny. Fuel the fire. <laughs> you, somebody's videotaping it. So oh, somebody's there. Yeah, somebody's there. They had, so to snuff his ass. they had to snuff his ass out. Yeah, literally. They, they did. So his friend is videotaping and he's surprisingly, oh, the videoer wanted to remain anonymous. Hmm. Nobody he raises a lighter to his buddy's bum. Oh. <laughs> he ignites it right as the prankster let her rip. <laughs> no. Creating a massive fireball, uh, literally a fireball that sets his pants on fire. Can I see the video? Yeah. Let me see it. Get back to it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, again, these are sober men. Is this during the workday? I mean, I I mean, hope what he's is, not sober. But what's happening? I don't know. What's happening? There's no excuse for that if you're sober. There isn't. It's pretty funny. There's though. really not that much of an excuse if you're not sober, but. Yeah. Okay. Well, here, there's an ad, but you'll have to watch. But anyway, he's definitely. So if I was like on fire from trying to light my own fart and you were videotaping. First of all, you would would never do that. (laughs) I mean, never say never, Sarah. (laughs) Maybe that's our next boobs in the news. Sarah's about to try to recreate. (laughs) All right. There's your boobs. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right. And we're back. So can you touch a little bit about what the baker's yeast showed you and and how that was the catalyst for your fasting mimicking diet? Because we talked about the longevity diet. This is how we all should be eating. But you created the fasting mimicking diet for those who were not going to adhere to that diet, correct? Correct. So I, I, we started a clinical trial. It must be you know, 12, 13 years ago now at USC Norris Cancer Center. And we thought the cancer patients, and there was water-only fasting, 
And, and we thought the, water, the cancer patients are going to be highly motivated. They're going to do it. And then <laughs> it turns out that it turned out that they didn't want to do it. And this, they kind of felt cheated. And, and the oncologist came to us and said, you know, the, this is not working very well. We, we're, we're scared about, you know, them not eating, not having any salts in the system, not having maybe their blood pressure dropping, their glucose level dropping. And so, and the patient were even uh, responding worse than the oncologist. And that was surprising. And so, yeah, th this is why we went to the uh, National Cancer Institute, the National Institute on Aging of the NIH, and then they funded the research on the fasting mimicking diet. But now keep in mind that, so yeah, the water only fasting, uh, you hear stories, but I, I would, you know, put a big warning there because we certainly, almost everything we've ever done, and we now run a lot of clinical trials on fasting, it, what works for cancer patients is the combination of, of fasting, and fasting mimicking diet particularly, with drugs, right? With with cancer drugs, that's how. We, even in mice, we never cure the mouse uh, with cancer with fasting, but we cured lots of mice with lots of cancers with the combination of immunotherapy and fasting, chemotherapy and fasting, the hormone therapy and fasting, and particularly fasting mimicking diets. So yeah, so just making sure that people don't think that you know they should abandon their their standard of care to then just do uh, fasting, particularly water only fasting, which is. Uh, I think fairly dangerous in a cancer patient uh, improvise on their own because there's so many problems that can happen. So it's good to be followed and, and you know, combine forces, let's say. Okay. So yeah. that's interesting. So you've, you know, you do this research and you come up with the fasting mimicking diet. Can you kind of explain how it works and what the potential benefits are for cellular health? The fasting mimicking diet, the job is to send all normal cells into a protective mode, and that's A, right? So the, the, lots of the normal cells go into this protective mode, but instead of just going for the, say, three, four, five days of the fasting mimicking diet, they stay there for a much longer time. So it's almost like reprogramming a lot of the cells independently of, of stem cells, right? Then we also show that stem cells are turned on by, the, by these fasting periods. And then, so now you have reprogrammed cells and, and stem cells, right? And then you also have changes in, let's say, blood markers, insulin, IGF-1, leptin, lots of these markers. And those, some of those changes last a, a long time. So yeah, those are the, the three things that are happening. So the, I'm interested too, because you know it's a big thing these days. Everybody talks about intermittent fasting. But you kind of make a differentiation between intermittent fasting and FMD in your book. And I thought the example that you gave is really interesting that walking 15 minutes is not the same as running a marathon, right? So it's almost like this FMD is, is kind of like clinically based, scientifically based, and it's not going to be the same thing as just intermittently fasting for like the average person. Can you kind of touch on that? Yes, I, I think I always say, people, of course, ask about fasting. And I always say fasting doesn't mean anything, right? It means it's like eating. It, it could be good for you, neutral, or it could be bad for you, right? It depends on who does it and how they do it, right? So I think if we want fasting to stick around and be very helpful to a lot of people, we have to respect this notion, right? That, that you know, it has to be clinically tested. It has to be preclinically tested. That's the first. It's got to be tested in the lab, then in the clinic. And then once we have enough clinical trials 
then we can say, yes, this works for this purpose. If you do intermittent fasting, first of all, which intermittent fasting? Who are you? You know, and what are your features? And even intermittent fasting, as I pointed out many times, can be problematic, right? So we know now people that skip breakfast. So they, they fast for 16 hours. And part of the fast involves skipping breakfast. They live shorter with more cardiovascular disease, right? So without going very far, even intermittent fasting done a certain way is associated with problems and not solutions. So yeah, so then the fasting making diet is a completely different thing, right? So it, it says it takes about three days for the body to start it takes about a couple of days for the body to burn all the, the glycogen that is stored. It takes about three days to get into a full ketogenic mode where you see these ketone bodies, these, these blood byproducts of, of fat being elevated, right? And then it takes maybe four or five days for the body to begin to shrink, right? And that's what we want. We want all the above, right? We want the body to burn all the glycogen and then make this ketone body, burn the fat, get into this fat burning mode, and then start shrinking. And it's not shrinking very much, but it's shrinking enough that that is setting this, this reprogramming that I was talking about before, right? It's got to get to that point. If it doesn't get to the point of shrinking, it does not have the opportunity to re-expand, right? And this is some, this a very sort of beautiful, very simple but beautiful idea, which is if you shrink, let's say there's a, a, in the 40s, Ansel Keys in Minnesota, had done these semi-starvation studies in people, right? Which could never be done again because it would be very much unethical. But in the semi-starvation studies, they showed the University of Minnesota, I think it was, they showed that the heart shrinks 41%, you know, after a, a long period of semi-starvation. And then as they followed these patients, they showed that the heart then re-expanded back to its original size, I think within 20 weeks post-refeeding. So then what happened to that, you know, 41%? Is it all new? Is it, is it a big part of the heart now, brand new? I mean, maybe yes, maybe not. But certainly that's a very intriguing possibility and, and only came through this very long period of, of, of starvation. So now, you know, of course, we have to have a very safe and feasible way of doing it. And so, yeah, this is the, this five days of fasting making diet followed by the refeeding and could just begin this process of shrinking and re-expanding, this reprogramming, this turning on of stem cells, et cetera, et cetera. This is very clear in mice and rats, but it's starting to uh, to be supported by the human data also. I was going to ask about that. If studies indicate that FMD may increase the efficacy of existing treatments like chemotherapy while minimizing the side effects, are oncologists embracing this? Because I think so many cancer patients are kind of demanding now a more holistic approach to their care. And to your point, they'll, they'll do conventional treatments, but they also want integrative treatments that have been shown to scientifically improve their outcomes. It seems like the medical community is very slow to accept this. To me, it just seems like a, a no-brainer. You know, if we have this data here, that we would consider its implications for increasing the efficacy of cancer patients, you know, treatment. So how are how is the medical community, you know, receiving this? And are they starting to implement these protocols with their patients? Yeah, so yeah, so we, we've been working on this for 20 years now. And, and, and now we've involved many, many of the top universities around the world. And I would say, first of all, uh, patients can go to the Create Cures Foundation Clinic. It's a nonprofit uh, clinic in Los Angeles. And they can be followed also from the distance, and if they cannot afford it, uh, they try the, their best to make it 
free or as affordable as possible. Yeah, so then then together with the oncologist, the, the Create Cures Foundation Clinic provides that integrative nutritional, et cetera, support. But I think that the medical system, uh, first of all, there's a lot of money that are involved, unfortunately. And then there is also a very careful FDA process, right? So, so between the, the sort of financial interest and the, and, and, and the good thing of, of the FDA, I think most oncologists are, and, and I'm, not, I'm not, you know, blaming the oncologist, I'm just blaming the system. The system, you know, is based on, on the, the oncology field generating lots of money for lots of people. And so I think it's the, any change is extremely excruciatingly slow. And, and this is unfortunate, right? Because patients have, that have, let's say, a stage four uh, cancer right now, they cannot wait for 10 years so that the very slow FDA process may give them a, a solution that can save their lives. I have to think, though, that the FDA would be quick to approve this because, I mean, from a health perspective, I mean, we are pumping poisons into people every day with chemotherapy that's approved. And if and, there's research and data out there showing its efficacy, I don't understand the whole. I up. mean, it's food. It's it's medical grade food, essentially. Yeah. So what yeah, would yeah. be the hold yeah, up mean, with the FDA? Yeah, absolutely. But but the, the reality of our works, and we I spoke to the FDA about this, right? And, and we sat with them for a long time, months, a very expensive process. And so, you know, it takes about $500 million uh, on average to get something the FDA approved, which we certainly don't have, and, and nobody's willing to put it in, right? Then, then I sat down with people from MD Anderson, Mayo Clinic, et cetera, et cetera, and we discussed this, and, and this, you know what they say? They say, well, by the time you get through with this process, you're going to be slow because, you, you know, your operation doesn't have any money. So it's going to take you five, six, seven years to get there. By the time you get there, the standard for breast cancer, we were considering breast cancer as a first uh, trial, the standard of care will have changed. And so you're going to have to start over this whole process <laughs> because uh, uh, because this, you're no longer using the standard of care. So this is the, unfortunately, this is the reality. I, I think to, what I'm hearing from you is that this is going to have to be patient driven. When the demand for this exceeds, you know, like, you know, their pocketbook, then that's when the change is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. When patients are- but Patient driven, yeah, patient driven, but with the help of some, the team of, let's say, our foundation clinic and their oncologists, right? We have now, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 clinical trials that have been run. So when the oncologist sees that, they they understand that it's you know it's safe. It's been tested on thousands of patients in informal clinical trials. So I think that they're okay. A lot of them may not think that they'll do much, uh, but I think they they allow it and um, to see what happens. Are you surprised by the psychology of the patient? I, I I mean the psychological component of all this is really fascinating to me, and I I think it's interesting. You not only have to deal with all the red tape of the FDA, but then to your point, the psychology of the patient. What are they willing to do? So that kind of goes back yeah. to the beginning of our episode, right? Like if you eat the longevity diet. You know, there's that option, but you created the fasting mimicking diet for those that just cannot adhere to that diet all the time. Mm -hmm. So the psychology absolutely. piece of it is just fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we're doing in Southern Italy now with 500 patients. And, you know, one arm is doing longevity diet plus the fasting mimicking diet. 
And one arm is just doing the fasting making diet every three months. So now we made it five days every 90 days, right? And and uh, and we're seeing, you know, we're starting to see very positive effects. So I think that's the way to go, right? Make it really very, make it, the doctor's got to be on board with it. The nutritionist got to be on board with it. And then make it as easy as possible for people. And, you know, you just have to, once in a while, you know, every three or four months, do it. And we are seeing, uh, I think, A, the effects long ter- short and long term, but B, also people being educated and feeling better eating like a mostly, you know, plant-based diet. So the best thing to do if patients want to learn more about the fasting mimicking diet and all the efficacy associated with it, I mean, I recommend your book, um, The Longevity Diet. The book or or the clinic, you know, the clinic is totally separate from the company. They create cures, they help uh, patients. And sometimes they do fasting mimicking diet and sometimes they don't, you know, Okay. and and they have to just find a way to to do it while observing the FDA uh, regulations, you know. Okay. Well, before we kind of sign off and get your final thoughts for people listening, let's hear from our second sponsor. Thriven is a proud sponsor of Faith Through Fire. Thriven believes money is a tool and not a goal. The Gateway Financial Group with Thriven is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314 783 4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. All right, we are back. So do you have any final words that you want to leave just the audience with, breast cancer patient or not breast cancer patient? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, in general, the, I, I, I encourage everyone to to think about, you know, the longevity diet and the fasting making diet and, and find a, an expert that can integrate those in into their um, you know nutritional habits. You know we're seeing lots. We're testing them for lots of diseases and lots of disease preventions, but also for the aging uh, itself. And so I think that's you know after 30 years working on this, I think that uh, I'm very uh, confident about their ability to uh, help a lot of people. You know prevent diseases, including cancer, but also living longer, healthier. Awesome. You can find that foundation at createcures.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Longo, for being with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until next time. See ya. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies.